The Hero's Journey podcast is filled with an abundance of spoilers. If you haven't read this week's book, I recommend you do so, as it will certainly help you follow along. Although, if you're only interested in hearing our take on this story, listen on. Hello, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a podcast in which my two far smarter friends, Alex, and I'm Zach, attempt to convince me, your judge, Jack, and you, the listener, whether a story is a hero's journey. The hero's journey is Joseph Campbell's monomyth. It breaks down the most common recurring themes of our stories into a single template. The journey consists of three overarching parts, the departure, the initiation, and the return. The departure is where our hero is called to action and leaves their ordinary world behind them. The initiation, where our hero undergoes the trials and tribulations of their quest before ultimately achieving their goals. And finally, the return, where after having completed their quest, our hero must return to some semblance of normalcy. This week, we're talking about Stormfront by Jim Butcher, which is the first book in the Dresden Files, a story that features Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden, a real-life wizard living in the all-too-gritty, real Chicago landscape. And uh, he is a wizard for hire, often being used as a consultant by the Chicago PD. Uh, He's running low on funds and takes a case he probably normally wouldn't for a missing person from a desperate housewife. But before he can really delve into that, he's drawn to a crime scene by the police department where uh, two victims have had the heart ripped out of their chest without any apparent forced entry or, or, or other forms of danger. Dresden believes this was most likely magic and returns uh, to have his interview with a housewife with the missing husband. But a lot of things get in the way. There starts to be intrigue and the cases end up converging such that the mastermind behind it all, uh, behind the murders, behind uh, a new drug war for a magical drug on the streets of Chicago, are actually the housewife's missing husband who himself is a dark magic magician. Uh, there's a confrontation between Dresden and the uh, and the dark magic wiz- wizard that leaves him nearly dead, uh, but in the end he's able to overcome that evil sorcerer and clear his name of the accusations because there was quite a few people all along who thought he was the one to blame for these murders and these uh, this drug reaching the streets. And. Let us begin with our departure from the ordinary world or into somebody else's ordinary world with the always spectacular need to pay the rent last month with our call to adventure. So our call to adventure here is the literal call that comes over the telephone line for Dresden uh, from Monica, a housewife whose husband's gone missing and she's hiring him to find him. Now, uh, her attitude seems a bit off, and it's not a job that Dresden would normally take, but he's a little desperate for fun, so he agrees to meet her. Um, This is the call to adventure, as in the moment that starts 
this particular tale and the journey that Dresden's going to have, we'll know that Dresden succeeded in his quest, in his adventure, in his journey, if by the end of the tale, this woman's husband has been found and things have been put right. And while things might get a little more complicated than that, uh, than simply fetching the husband back to his suburban home, um, that's going to stay the underlying goal that Dresden's trying to achieve. Now, as far as the refusal of the call goes, he gets this call, he sets this appointment, says, I've got enough time to shower and eat and get ready for my meeting. He immediately gets another call, uh, which is funny because I don't know if we've ever had a refusal of the call be literally another call um, to go to another job for the police department down at a very fancy local hotel. Um, showcasing that while, yes, he took this job, it's not super important to him and he's he's willing to refuse it and go work on something else for a while. He, even, he says to her, yes, I've got an appointment I'm going to need back to, but it's pretty obvious once he's there that that, uh, that flies from his head and he doesn't remember it until too late. Uh, we then meet the mentor, who is Murphy, the police officer in charge of the paranormal cases of the police department. Um, they have a, a friendly but uh, somewhat antagonistic relationship with each other, as she's not a magic user herself, um, but comes across the cases that are often unable to be defined by science and normal police methods, which is why she brings in Dresden. Uh, she provides him with access to the crime scenes, pay information beyond the scope of his understanding about the criminal underworld and things along those lines. So she does fit a fairly good mentor position. Uh, as far as crossing the threshold goes, this is no longer a simple investigation. Once he walks into the room and sees two mutilated bodies uh, and a room filled with blood, uh, he even loses his lunch over it after his somewhat detached observation of the scene. And I don't think that even if the police department had said, hey, Dresden, we, we've come up with a solution and you don't need to work on this anymore. Based on the kind of person I think Dresden is, he'd still not accept their reasoning and want to be looking into this. He's crossed from his more stereotypical jobs with the police, which we get a little bit of backstory on to something that's quite extreme and, and very upsetting to all people involved. Um, the moment that he can't really come back from in his belly of the whale is when he gets a direct threat from Marcone, who is a, um, a mob boss in Chicago who, who has taken control of majority of the criminal underworld. And he gets picked up by him in his limo and essentially threatened to stay out of it after trying to be bribed. And it showcases that there's more going on here than, than originally meets the eye. And it's not something that Dresden can back away from after he's taken such a hard stance to this criminal kingpin. So this quest you've laid out, I think you've given yourself a little bit of wiggle room in what the ultimate boon is going to be, and you need it. Um, I'm not going to really argue this call from Monica is a pretty clear call to adventure. But the call from Murphy, like you said, is also a call to adventure. So I really don't see this as a refusal of the call. Accepting simultaneous calls to adventure is an interesting way to continue this story. And he doesn't refuse either of these. I think he's just diving headfirst into whatever jobs he can take right now. 
I think you'd be right in saying that if not for the fact that the more mundane case, that of the missing husband, essentially flees his mind past the point of I'm going to be late for my meeting. He's like, when he's on his way there, he's like, I got only a little bit amount of time. I got to get there, take a look around and come back for my other meeting. And once he sees the, the drastic nature of the case before him, the more mundane one just flees his mind. So I think it's, it's enough to pull him away from what he, what he was originally intending. We have to treat the distraction as the greatest refusal he may have. Okay, I, the distraction is the greatest refusal. It just isn't, you know, super strong in my mind. But I, I do understand the point you're making. Um, moving on to the mentor, I don't like Murphy as a mentor very much because Dresden has knowledge of the underworld already and n greater knowledge of magic than Murphy. Uh, I'm just not seeing a lot there. Like, when they talk about the prostitutes, he knows that Bianca is a vampire. He has more information about that world than she does. And she does give him a little bit more information about, you know, strictly non-magical criminals. But Dresden had some knowledge. He knows who Mar Marcone is before Murphy says anything. So it, it's just not a very strong relationship there. Um, and... Really, Dresden has moved beyond mentors. He's had mentors in the past, but now as this hard-boiled detective character, he's moved beyond them already, and he's he's something greater. He doesn't need a mentor right now. Yes, he he has certainly had a lot of mentors in the realm of magic, and he's had probably a plethora of adventures in the past that are just alluded to. But Murphy is shown to be his in towards not only a steady income, they pay a majority of his bills, but the general world of consulting. You see, we see the animosity that the police department members besides Murphy have for Dresden. And if it wasn't for her calling him in again and again and her vouching for him, to get results, I don't know if they would ever even use Dresden, leaving him somewhat destitute and desperate for options. Yeah, I, I can see that, uh, but he does have other sources of income, and Murphy is not hasn't been in charge of the paranormal investigators, you know, for the police very long. He talks about how people cycle through that position fairly often, so she's not a permanent fixture um, at this point. I, I don't know if she becomes more permanent later. But he's continually been hired by the um, Chicago Police Department without Murphy being there. The only real pushback I have against this crossing the threshold is that this isn't the case that um, Dresden had s signed up for in your call to adventure. And we learn later that they are connected. So I do definitely see this as a crossing the threshold. It's just interesting that the adventure that we started on isn't really the one that Dresden thinks he's going on at this point. Um, I don't know if you had any more thoughts on that. Uh, I do. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, just, well, just, it, it hasn't come up as much because normally in high, in high fantasy, etc., when the hero turns out to be on an even greater journey, the little journey that they're on is still a 
their, their little journey transforms into a bigger one. In this case, we've just, this is the, this is the first, first time that we're personally seeing two separate things connect, but it still falls under Campbell's uh, caveat of the hero doesn't have to know that they're all doesn't always have to know that they're on this journey and that what they're doing is affecting their ultimate goals. What you're saying is essentially this is the first time we've had parallel converging as opposed to more of a singular whole, evolving. Yeah, more of a snowball effect. Zach, this belly of the whale you put forward uh, as the threat from Marcone, I think fits uh, a little bit, but I, I want to push back because I think Dresden is powerful enough and he's even presented the opportunity to just drop it and leave. So here he could have diverged and said, no, you know what? This case is, isn't worth it. Um, I can pay my rent with the money from Marcone. Or he could have said, uh, you know what, this case isn't worth it. I'll just find something else. So, and even beyond this, he still has the offer. When he leaves Marcone, it's not dropping everything. It's no, and Marcone says, if you change your mind, you know, the offer is still on the table. So I think there's still chances for him to leave um, until way farther in the book. So I... I disagree simply from the aspect of his own personality. Yes, they're a different person could have made those decisions, but the kind of power struggle we see between Dresden and Marcone in the, you know, don't threaten me you, again, you'll, you'll live to regret it or yada, yada. It, Which is Harry's line to be yes. clear, not Marcone's. Yeah. Uh, showcases that once he's, once he's been attempted to be bullied he's even less likely to turn this down because he's got a little bit of a machoism, something to prove, uh, which I think is just defining of, of Dresden as a character. They don't leave it as the offer still stands. Harry makes his blustering threat and Marcone informs him that you really should try to be more polite. It's good for business. And you should at least go on vacation if you're not going to take my deal or whatever. Yeah, and then uh, Harry's last line is, if you ever lose your car keys, call me. Don't try offering me money or threats again. Thanks for the ride. Okay, the so, ride so is... it's a little more close than I remembered. Yeah, the, yeah. And the ride is very, very nice because he would have been extra late instead of just barely late. Just quite late. Uh, so I think we're off to a little bit of an atypical start, though I guess that's not as unusual when we're changing over from high fantasy and sci-fi into something that more resembles a hardboard detect hard boiled detective novel uh even if it is urban fantasy uh the only two points that i there are two points that i think we were missing uh i've got to agree with alex that having a promiscuous hero who's willing to be on multiple adventures at once does not mean that he is refusing any calls and as was stated, Harry has had mentors in the past, but we're seeing him at a stage where at least he currently is beyond that or thinks himself beyond that. He, does, he goes to people as friends and allies, not as mentor figures or father figures. Uh, moving on, we get to our initiation 
the heart and meat of the quest and as truly all fantastic quests do we begin our road of trials with capturing toot toot i think that this capturing of toot toot the fairy who shall now be referred to as the fairy uh, <laughs> is showcasing of dresden's knowledge of the magical world it's hey, I'm not just an imposter. I just don't have a couple tricks. I have a, a fairly in-depth knowledge of not only how to do magic, but how to interact with magical creatures in a way that leaves me technically on the right side of the law, which is the best kind of correct. Um, and we see this in his you know, magical use of luring the fairy, using the, the magical circles to capture it, and then bartering with it uh, for its release. I think it's made even more important by the interaction that Dresden has with Morgan afterwards, in which Morgan says, I've got you now. You were, you know, commanding a magical creature to do your bidding. And Dresden uses a bunch of technicalities. It's like, I, you, that's really loose. You know, technically he did it of his own volition, yada, yada. And so I think this shows dresden's willingness to use the information he has while staying on the proper side of the law um moving on to the the next trial i see it as being the time when he fights the demon and the uh he's kind of showcasing his raw magical might through the evocation magic that he's able to use uh and calling down the the lightning from the storm to power him to destroy the demon really showcases hey I can be a little bit desperate if I need to. I have vast magical ability and I can tap into things that are somewhat beyond even other people who are familiar with magic. Um, and then a little bit later in the story, he goes to the nightclub because he thinks that Marcone is the one who's ordered his goon to steal his hair and therefore make him next on the uh, chopping block. And he, he literally blows the doors off with this big entrance and confronts the mob. And it really showcases his authority in the world of man in that he's not afraid to make these bold moves, even in situations where he might not be in his prime. He's weak from the fights that he's had. He's out of sleep. And he's entering an unfamiliar territory with incomplete information. Now, it works out for him due to his quick wit and his showcased power and somewhat do the people he's interacting with. But I think it shows a lot of Dresden, not only as a magic user, which I said, we've seen a couple times here, uh, but also as a man who's, who's able to interact with others to get things done. Moving on and meeting with the higher power, uh, the vampirist who owns the high end prostitution ring, uh, whose name is Bianca, I believe to be the higher power here for, a couple of reasons. One, she is of at least a comparable power level in that her innate abilities as a vampire are very dangerous to Dresden, especially when he is made weakened by the security removing a lot of his magical might. Now, he's got an escape tool that he's spirited away. And he has a, uh, and he's got some sunlight that he's pocketed his way as well that he uses against the vampirus. But she's still extremely dangerous. In fact, there's a point in the story where he's used up all of his his tricks 
and in in his escape wouldn't be timely enough and he knows that she could kill him but he bluffs his way out of it now what kind of gifts or what kind of information does she bestow on him more clues to follow more threads uh, including the name of one of the murdered victims close confidants who used to work for her that helps lead him closer to the truth. Now, the temptress, on the other hand, is something a little grander than we normally see in our stories. Uh, there's this dark side to magic, kind of like the dark side of the Force from Star Wars. It's always eking just in the background of Dresden's mind and abilities. We see it showcased at several points when he lets himself become fully aware of the magic, uh, both in the middle of the story and specifically towards the end, in which case, if he had harnessed it, these problems would have seemed very minuscule. He would have had such power at his disposal that he could wipe the face with his enemies and those threatening him. Um, but he conscientiously chooses to ignore that and to, to choose the side of what's right and what's good. And I think that makes it not only a very viable temptress, but showcases Dresden's character. The atonement with the creator in this story really comes with his interactions with Morgan, uh, who is his would-be parole officer from the White Council, who's watching his every move and, and essentially trying to get him, trying to, to find something that can tie him to these murders and a slew of other uh, magical irresponsibilities and allow him to be his executioner for the purposes of uh, the sword of Damocles or the curse of Damocles that hangs over doom. his head. Uh, the doom of Damocles. Thank you. I had to look it up. And uh, the reason that he's the creator is he really holds the ultimate power in his life, which is showcased by later in the story when Morgan tells the truth and gets the doom lifted from him. But essentially it's the word of Morgan that, decide whether Dresden's going to live or die. Followed by that, we have a pretty interesting apotheosis in which Dresden realizes that all the cases that he's been thinking about and all the motives tie together. His simple hunt for a, uh, a wayward husband who's been dabbling in magic is realized to be uh, a fairly innately talented but somewhat untrained dark magic sorcerer who has been causing the murder of the individuals that he's been investigating separately and also been responsible for the drug war and magical drugs that have been filtering throughout the criminal underworld of Chicago. So it's a, it's a very grand aha moment that I think sometimes we don't get in our fantasy stories. And that's mostly due to the fact that this is also, you know, a, a dark noir investigative mystery. Um, so I think once Dresden comes to that aha moment, we see him set out with a singular purpose now that he's no longer being distracted by multiple threats, which I greatly appreciate, which leads to his ultimate boon of defeating Mr. Shadow, a.k.a. Victor Sells, the husband of the woman who called him in the beginning of the story. Um, he puts everything he has into this confrontation, uh, every piece of magic that he can muster his his physical life on the line, his mental dexterity. It is a an all out no holds bar brawl. In which case, at the very end, the his enemy even says, "Work with me. We can save both of ourselves." And he says, essentially, "No, screw you. At least we're both gonna die." <laughs> and uh, 
And I think that's a, a really cool moment for Dresden, but showcases that with the death of Mr. Shadow slash Victor Sells, there's nothing he wants more than to end end him and end the destruction and, and uh, horror that he's been wrecking on Chicago. So diving right into your road to trial, Zach, I think that you used a word that's going to make my point for me. You said showcased his knowledge of the magical world and showcased his raw power and showcased his authority. I don't think Dresden changes on these road of trials. I think that he's just showing the power that he already has. And I don't think that's a bad thing for an introduction to a character. And the series of the Dresden files is 16 or so books now. So there's time for development later. In this first book, I just don't see Dresden really changing as a character. I agree in that he doesn't seem to showcase a ton of personal development. I think his trials here are more things to be overcome using his skills and less things that change him as a result, which... I think would fit very well with how we used to define the road of trials, but agreeably not so well with how we do currently. So moving on to our bat face vampiris higher power. Um, I think that this is pretty good. Uh, Dresden does learn a lot from Bianca. He gets information that helps him in the future. One of the points in the higher power that we've discussed a little bit, and I think this shows is that the information and the gift from the higher power here isn't used right away. It's information that helps Dresden later in the case. So I, I like this point. And going right on to your temptress, this is another one that I love. I love metaphorical temptresses. And this dark side of magic is tempting to Dresden. And really evidence in that scene where he's going to face uh, Victor Cells for the last time. And still, at the end of the book, Dresden is tempted by this dark side of magic. He talks about how the power is still there. So I think this is really good, and I think it's going to come back as we discuss the series later. I, I love this point. Morgan as the creator does kind of make sense because Morgan does hold power over Dresden. He, he, has the, he is the one who's going to uh, enforce the doom of Damocles. But I don't think that there is any one encounter with Morgan that we could say, this is the center point of the journey. Um, and if you can find one, this is going to blow my argument out of the water. But the journey is all focused on, you know, the job from Monica and the job from Murphy and not really focused on Harry's himself and his, you know, his, his issues with the doom of Damocles. So, I don't really see this as a center point of the story. I, I think it's his bar fight with Morgan that kind of showcases this atonement when he knocks him out, <laughs> not using magic, beats him over the head with a chair, and goes about his way. He's doing two things in this. One, he's showcasing that the importance of what he's come to realize is beyond his own personal safety and, you know, well-being because he's essentially assaulted his parole officer who yes, is already convinced that he's the bad guy and that he's going to be stand trial and, and uh, eventually lose and be executed. But he's saying, you know, screw the system. I have to do what's right. Even if it's, against the authority that exists within the magical circle. And so 
that's I think the turning point where it goes from because before that, Dresden is always conscientious of how his actions are going to be viewed by the White Council. He hides the fact that he's looking into how to murder two people from a distance with voodoo. He's, you know, he's kind of keeping a low prof- profile as much as able, and he throws that out the window as soon as he breaks a bar stool over his parole officer's head. Okay, I see that. And it, this is about the same time that Dresden realizes all his cases are combined. And I, I see that more as a convergence. And since these happen together, Morgan holds the ultimate power. So I, I, I can see that point. And um, I think I'm going to have to concede that apotheosis too. So realizing the cases all tie together is a big point for Dresden. And it just it fits really well into this. Um it's not the classic motif of achieving godhood, but it it ties his daily his uh, his struggles the past couple of days together. So I, I I like it. I do want to push back on your ultimate boon a little bit because the journey started with a call from Monica to return her husband. I'm not a hundred percent sure that this ultimate boon really fits in with the quest we've laid out. I know that we have some adjustments later that send the quest in a different direction and defeating Mr. Shadow, Victor Sells, is a great point and it's a good thing for Dresden, obviously, since he doesn't die, but it doesn't feel like the ultimate boon of the quest we started out on. Essentially what it boils down to, if he had been so strict in following out his contract and returning Victor Sells to the family, a, he'd either wind up dead because he barely was able to defeat him, let alone coerce him back into a life of suburban bliss. Uh, and B, he would have felt extremely, I don't want to use lackluster and disappointed, but I think he would have felt incompleted because no justice had been accomplished. Um, so I don't think if you keep it simply to returning based on what the job says that there really could have been any sort of closure to this argument. I want to focus more in on how in the call to adventure, I talked about making things right. In which case the definition of what is right is changed multiple times throughout the tale, especially culminating with his interactions with uh, Victor Sell's wife, Monica and their child who pretty much says you, you have to do what's right and be one of the good guys. I think an interesting point on this would have been if Dresden had been able to return Victor from the dark side back to the good, but uh, I don't think that's possible in the mechanics of the world or the character of Victor Sell. So I I see this as an ultimate boon in that situation where the, the definition has changed throughout the story. That's going to bring us to the close on the initiation, which, uh, I think actually covered basically all the points other than the road of trials for the first time ever. Uh, But I think that's really just a factor of Harry being less of your classical hero and being more immutable to change. We come to our close where all good endings begin with your hero passing out. For our refusal of the return, uh, we have Dresden's willingness to die once the demon and Mr. Shadow are dead. He's accomplished his goal, not only in word, but in deed. And uh, he's, all right, 
I've done everything I need to do. It's time to die. It's time to move on. And uh, not really trying anymore to save himself. And so that's him refusing to return to his life as normal, thinking he doesn't have the ability to do so. And in some ways he's right. Uh, because he's rescued, he passes out and is rescued by Morgan. So we have our magical flight in which he passes out from the physical toil and uh, injuries that he's taken. And he's rescued by Morgan and his shining silver sword, uh, which is the rescue from the without. And we then get into things that are a little more, um, less concrete, I would say. Uh, For the crossing of the return threshold, He's back in the hospital, back in the world of more mundanity, uh, and he's talking about how things wrapped up with the White Council and with uh, Murphy, the police officer, etc., and with Sarah, the woman he'd gone on the date with, but he's talking about things getting back to normal. Now, for his Master of Two Worlds, he's talking once again about being a freelance magician that's going back and, and doing what he always has done. But he, it also is revealed that he's a member of the White Council, which is, you know, the, the grand authority of the, of the light side of magic in this universe. And as such, he's extremely magically powerful, but he's also really good at figuring out crimes and, and, and living the life that he wants to lead inside the, the world of the mundane, which comes to his freedom to live. He's no longer has the doom of Damocles poised over his head, and they're no longer watching his every move. Uh, in order to to cast an immediate death sentence upon him. And if that's not a freedom to live, uh, I don't know what is. Our refusal of the return, I think, is the best example we've ever had. In the place where our hero has achieved the ultimate boon, he has given up and he has accepted that he will not be able to go back to his normal life. And it's just perfectly what Campbell talked about and what Campbell had in mind for this. So I, I think that this is the best example of refusal to return we've ever had. Um, and in a classic example of passing out, I gotta concede this uh, magic flight and rescue from without too, because, you know, Dressin is saved by Morgan, who's more powerful than him, and it is a mystical way that he is saved. However, I need to push back on crossing the threshold. Since Harry is a magical detective and he's, you know, experiencing all of these things and like we had kind of like I had kind of already tried to say, he could have left at various points except for when he is threatened with death late in the story. So, I don't know if he is returning to his normal life as much as this is his normal life and he's continuing to live in it. I hear what you're saying in that he's always going to be in this one foot in each world kind of scenario. But once he's reached a point that his life is no longer in imminent danger, both from his interactions with uh, Mr. Shadow and with the council, the white council, um, we can see him returning to a sense of normalcy that is very freeing to him uh both from a literal obligation standpoint he doesn't have to be looking over his shoulder every 10 seconds and from a you know it's got to feel good that he's no longer being judged by his would-be peers all right so for this master of the two worlds um 
being a freelance magician for the normal world and a member of the White Council, I see as kind of being in the same world. Uh, as we found out, Harry has been a member of the White Council, although not part of the Senior Council, uh, for the whole time that he's been in the story. And he's been a freelance magician you know, for long before this. So I think that these are just one world he he is the master of this magical world and i'm not really seeing both worlds there and i can see where his human side of his world seems somewhat unappealing he he lives paycheck to paycheck with great debt debts to both his landlord and others you know not really having any money or very nice things or a very nice apartment but we have to keep in mind the kind of interactions he's had with people of great means and authority in the human world from the mob boss to police chiefs to, you know, even very rich individuals. Um, we see him holding his own in these social interactions that I think gives him a little more credence to having mastery in the, in the human world. I have a hard time seeing someone who's living in this, you know, scraping, scramping manner and not sure if he's going to make rent as mastering of the human world. And he's not totally a master of the magical world either. He's part of the council, but not, as powerful as other members and not as important as other members as evidenced by Morgan being there, having power over him. Although since he does free himself of that, I, I can give you the mastery of the magical world there. So for the freedom to live, no longer having a death sentence, I think I kind of have to give it to you because we had this doom of Damocles with you know this epic sounding name and a large issue for Dresden. He's being stalked by his warden, who's like looking for excuses to have him killed, and he no longer has that. So uh, it's hard to push back against this as much as I would like to. And that's going to close us out here on a perfect return, hitting all the points. Though, if you personally... Uh, disagree with any of them, especially that crossing of the return threshold point, feel free to reach out to us at a hero's journey podcast on facebook.com or at a hero's journey pod at gmail.com. And that's going to bring us to the end of our investigation of Harry Dresden as a hero. Uh, 14 out of 17 points is very much towards our high end and actually quite a bit higher than I was expecting for this story since it fits sort of a different mold of the detective novel rather than necessarily the classic fantasy hero. Ultimately, uh, well, I enjoyed it as sort of a light romp through a, it's not actually that light, uh, as I enjoyed, I enjoyed it as a look into sort of one of the biggest urban fantasy franchises around. I'm normally pretty hot or cold on urban fantasy, 
and well, I like Terry Dresden, the world didn't suck me in as much. So I look forward to having more chances for Harry Dresden and the Dresden Files to blow me away as we dig deeper into the series. I I uh, wasn't as sucked in by this book as I thought I would be. I usually like mysteries and I like urban fantasy and magic stuff a lot, but I don't know. I, I, I wasn't as sucked in and I think it was in a large part because Dresden doesn't develop. Um, I'm interested enough to continue the series. I, I would just like to see Dresden develop more and I think that he will over the course of the rest of these books. I like this book simply because from my point of view, it was a more adult version of Harry Potter in which the hero has to solve something that is fairly complicated. It's much like Harry Potter in Alex's right, in which the character doesn't have a, too much growth, especially in this particular book. But I think there's enough meat in the in the in the world itself and the interactions between the quote, you know, the mundane and the magical that made it an interesting and somewhat quick read. Thank you so much for joining us again this week, and look out for our next episode, which will be us digging deeper into the belly of the whale in our Hero's Guide to series. And we're joined by special guest Stephen from the Fantology Books podcast. It's a lot of fun. Make sure you give it a listen. Uh, as always, I've been your host and judge, Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. If you get a chance, give us a rating on wherever you get your podcast from. I know I've been saying it every time, but man, it really helps us out. Yay! Oh, thank you. Trump. You take that back, sir. We I think capturing toot toot is now my favorite euphemism for something. I'll figure out what it means.